Well, the, uh, the pastor asked me to do this session, and when he asked me, our plan was in process, but our vote hadn't taken place. And I was writing this outline thinking, boy, what if they don't vote yes? And then what am I going to talk to them about? So uh, we're halfway through a four-year process, and I'm like the optimist who, after falling 18 of 20 stories, said, so far, so good. So I'll share with you what the Lord has been helping us with and teaching us. Father, I pray that you guide me by your spirit. Make me a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, I'll try to be done in time to leave you some time for questions. When I was here a couple of years ago, Brother Chapel began his message. The theme was launched out into the deep by quoting a secular song, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. That was written by Otis Redding, who is called the King of Soul. And uh, so I feel it appropriate I can quote this secular song that said, Knowing when to leave may be the smartest thing that anyone can know. <laughs> I'm afraid my heart, the singer said, isn't very smart. Now, lack of a biblical transition can have serious detrimental effects to the ministry that you spent your life working with and loving and caring for and seeing the Lord build. Um, Highland Park Baptist Church, one of the great churches of my youth. Do you know what they're running today? They don't exist. There is no Highland Park Baptist Church. 76 miles from my church was my friend and mentor, Dr. Tom Malone. Preached in my church many, many, many times. Great man. Dr. Hiles said Tom Malone may be the best pulpiteer in America. He built a church, ran 3,500 a Sunday for a long time, 2,000 on buses, 1,500 in the driving crowd, had a college, never had more than 300 in the college, but went for years and years and had people all over, still does, all over America, all over the world that came out of his college. Do you know what they're running Emmanuel Baptist Church now? Nothing. They don't exist. So it's a big deal, I think, to have an appropriate transition. So let me talk to you first about the problems. The problems. Letter A, I would suggest that we have a problem with perspective. It is difficult for us to evaluate ourselves. I'm still doing good. Everything's all right. I can do this a long time. Maybe, maybe not. But it is demanded that we evaluate ourselves. Uh, let a man examine himself, the Bible says, in reference to the Lord's Supper. The Bible says if we would judge ourselves in the same passage, we would not likewise be judged. So ultimately, you're going to have to be guided by the Holy Spirit when it's time for you to quit. I am happy. I'm healthy. I, in spite of my incident on Sunday night, uh, I'm in good health. I do an hour uh, at a time, three to four six times a week on the elliptical machine. I'm getting so good about that, I'm about to start moving the pedals. And I'm, 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 I'm happy with that. And uh, I really, I, I have my physical over here, I got low cholesterol, my resting heart rate is in the high 50s most of the time. You can look at my Fitbit chart. I checked it while I was sitting in the session this morning, it was 58. And uh, I love what I'm doing, I'm not bitter, I'm not tired out. I sit in our church when another preacher preaches and look out over the crowd and I think, man, I love this. And the reason I'm leaving is not because I've had it. It's not because I want to do something else. It's not because I've lost my heart for what's going on. It's just the will of God. Amen. It's the right time in my life. My mother-in-law lives with us. She has for two years. Don't know how long she'll live. She's 91, takes a whole lot of my wife's time. And she's getting worse and worse mentally. 
And uh, maybe it'd be good if there's a little bit of time after my mother-in-law goes to heaven, my wife and I could do some things and she could spend some time with me. The young man that I believe was God's replacement is right now 36. He'll be 38, God willing, when he becomes the pastor. It'd be too long if he stayed till he was 45. Maybe if I stayed till he was 45. <laughs> And so uh, I just know it's the will of God for me at this time. But you do have to, you have to look and see, have I lost a step? Do I have the same heart I used to have? Am I, am I thinking of as many new ideas as I was? Am I out after souls? Am I bringing as many people down the aisle? So we have a problem with perspective. We don't see ourselves very well like others see us. And then we have more importantly, I think, a problem with possessiveness. Well, at my church... I'd never let that happen in my church. Now, it's okay. We call, remember Lancaster Baptist Church? You say my church is Lancaster Baptist Church. It's yours because you're a part of it, but it's not yours because you own it. It's not yours because you're in charge of it. It's understandable that we feel possessive about our church. Uh, the, the body of Christ is the bride of Christ, the church is the bride of Christ, and uh, he loves his church like he loves a bride, and, and we ought to love our church, and we ought to labor. We've spent years there, and we feel a loyalty to our church. We want our church to do well. It's understandable, but it's unscriptural. Brother Sisk quoted the verse from First Chronicles that said, What hast thou that thou didst not receive? When I became persuaded of the Lord a little over two years ago, I think it was June of 2015 that it was time for me to put a three to five year plan actually in a place. When I came to the church at the age of 22, I said I will stay between 40 and 50 years. God can move me anywhere he wants to, but my intention is to stay between 40 and 50 years. I'd seen that most people that accomplished something significant for the Lord had stayed somewhere a long time. Very small church when I got there, maybe 50 on a Sunday morning, 20 on a Sunday night, 12 on a Wednesday night. 18 people voted to call me, six of them voted by absentee ballot. They never had been to church on a Sunday night. They didn't want to come to church on a Sunday night. They still have never been to church or on a, on a, oh, sorry, a Wednesday night uh, when they voted. But uh, not much there. Budget was $395 a week. The offerings for the month of February, I preached there the first time in March and checked the February statement, had averaged $200 a week. So they were not quite making it. And, and God's been good. We're in an entirely different location. Everything that's there, God has done in the time that I've been the pastor. Every brick, every stick of wood, every piece of soil, every little square inch of asphalt, I have seen it go in. Uh, every missionary that we support, every staff member that we've had, uh, I've been there for all of it, but it's not mine. And I went home and told my wife, I talked to Pastor Howell, and then I went home to my wife what I had done. And the next morning she said, honey, that made me sad. I said, well, why, sweetheart? You always said you wished I would just do one job. The Lord kindly allows me to travel and preach. And for several years, well, probably 12 or 15, I've been preaching 60 to 65 meetings a year outside of our church and pastoring the church and miss very, very few Sundays, usually two or maybe three at the most Sundays a year and not too many more Wednesdays than that, just mostly Monday and Tuesday and sometimes a Thursday and Friday. And she said, well, it's like you're taking everything you've spent your whole life building and handing it to him on a silver platter. Now, I understand that. 
one of my men who was a teenager when he came to our church and now is our business manager, not a full-time position. We pay him a, a part-time salary and he manages our books. He said, he said, yeah, I told Pastor J.D., you started out with nothing. How about we give him 10000 <laughs> you know, and see what you can do with that. I don't know what he wanted to do with the rest of the money, but he was only going to give Brother Howell $10,000 of it. Now, I understand that. We worked hard. We had nothing. We used to count the cars in the parking lot on Sunday morning. The house was across the driveway. Seven cars. Wow. That might be as many as 15 people, you know. And, and we get excited. Somebody come down the aisle. How many do you think we'll have on the big day? I don't know. It'll all depend on the buses. And, and I, I'd be playing darts for a little dart game in the basement. I'd say, okay, if I can get a bullseye, then we're going to have at least 200. Uh, I don't know why I thought things like that. But it was a big deal. And everything came slow and and hard. Nothing seemed to come real easily. The largest single gift ever been given to the First Baptist Church of Bridgeport is $19,000, and I know because I gave it. Largest giver at First Baptist Church of Bridgeport for many, many years. Uh, my wife and I have had that privilege. It didn't have any sugar daddies, didn't have anybody come in and drop a bunch of money on us, didn't, didn't have it. Now, God was good. We saw a lot of people get saved, a lot of people come. But I understand that but remember, it's God's church. There's a problem with possessiveness. And then there is a problem with preparation. The pastor does not prepare the church. The pastor does not prepare the staff. The pastor does not prepare the programs and the facilities. And the pastor does not, most of all, prepare himself. You know what a bag lady is? All that stuff she carries is not really valuable, but it's her. Her possessions become her identity. A lot of pastors become spiritual bag ladies. Who are you? Well, I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Bridgeport. You know what, when I drive in our church, the way the buildings were ended up being built, there's a little, where it was a parking lot, little, almost an alleyway comes right up to my office door, and they put up a little sign and asked people not to park there, and people would park behind me, and I couldn't get out, and my wife couldn't get out, and things, and, and I go in and open the door from the outside right into my office, and there's a bathroom there, and... I can get out of there without the salesman in the main office coming to see me. My wife can come in and she can put her coat and purse and stuff there. She brings her mother in when she's able to come to church and there's a real easy way to get in. But that's not who I am. When I buy a new phone and I can't get the stuff transferred, I go to one of the guys on my staff and they go like this and it works. When my iPad doesn't want to take any more videos, they tell me what I need to do. Uh, I, I could today say, Brother Stone Street, let me take you out to lunch. I go to the nicest restaurant in Lancaster, put it on my credit card, and the First Baptist Church of Bridgeport to pay for it. Amen. Sounds good. I, I said I could. I didn't say I would. <laughs> uh, I, I can go and say, I, I could say, hey, uh, write out a check to Doug Anderson for $1,000, send it to him. Nobody in my church say a thing. I can do that. Not after May 19, 2019. You know who I'll be then? I'll be R.B. Willette. So you're going to go on evangelism? I don't think so. I'm just going to travel and preach. 
and I'll be an itinerant preacher. I won't get into big theological discussion with you, but I think Jesus did some of that and Paul did some of that, and so I think there's a pretty good biblical precedent for just going everywhere preaching the gospel. But when I stop being the pastor, I will be a child of God the same as I was the Amen, day before. But you got to get your mind ready. So there's a problem, problem with perspective. Sometimes we don't examine and judge ourselves well. Problem with preparation, and you're not ready financially. I've seen preachers just ride the pony into the ground because they needed the salary. They just weren't ready to do anything else. So let me give you some principles, and then I'll give you a pattern and a few pointers. The principle, number one, letter A, the principle of stewardship. Stewardship. You remember the parable of the pounds, the parable of talents? They taught us that the Lord expects us to have more when he comes back to check on us than he left with us. We're supposed to increase the ministry. But you know what happens when he comes back? It's his. We didn't build that up for ourselves. That wasn't for us to keep. It wasn't so we could have a better situation. It was for the master. Now, I'm supposed to take care of it. Let me say this. I, I know people. I can tell you, um, it wasn't told me by him, but, uh, but somebody, but the chaplain had a meeting with a well-known pastor in California, a, a more conservative of the new evangelical men, and uh, he, they just had lunch together. And he said, what's your succession plan? And this pastor who's older than I am said, I don't have one. He said, when I'm done, it's not my problem. Well, that's a terrible attitude in my opinion. I want something to be given to the Lord. I've said for years, the next guy may make a mess, but by the grace of God, I don't want to leave him one. That's right. Now, a good steward has something good to pass on to the next generation. Better be there's the principle of supplication. Now, God makes it his job to tell us what to do. He says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. But did you know God wants us to pray for the things he's already promised us? The Bible says by faith they obtain promises. The Bible says that God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And then he tells us in the model prayer to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, if I preach for Brother Stone Street and he says, they come out and preach for me, I'll pay your plane ticket. I call him up, say, you're going to pay my plane ticket? Yeah, I'll pay your plane ticket. I'll call him a week later, be sure to pay the plane ticket. Please pay the plane ticket. <laughs> Brother Stone Street, I, I hope you'll pay the plane ticket. He'd say, I brother, I told you I'd pay the plane ticket. I'd say, yeah, but you never paid it the other times I was out there. So <laughs> no, I don't keep asking him for what he promised. But God wants us to pray for what he promised. So we pray that he shows us his will. We pray that he guides us and instructs us in the way which we should go. Uh, you find in Acts chapter 13 that uh, when they were sending out Paul and Barnabas, uh, they did that after they had prayed and fasted. I prayed for years. In fact, I probably started too early. I was maybe 55. And I thought I've said I go out between 62 and 72. That'd be 40, 50 years for me. And I said, uh, I better start looking around. I think about this person. And I, I didn't ever ask anybody you interested in coming here and maybe taking over the church. But I'd ask a young pastor, so you think you're going to stay where you are? You open it going somewhere else someday? What do you think? You know, I'd look at my staff. And, and I had problems with it because 
all of my staff had flaws. And I, yeah, this guy's this way, and that guy's that way, and that guy would do that. And the Lord finally showed me, hey, you're trying to replace imperfection with perfection. <laughs> you got your flaws too, and the next guy's going to have his flaws. You just need to find my will. And when I was maybe 57 or 8, I'd been talking about a little bit, thinking how to get the people ready. The Lord said to me, Nadia, you just go pastor this church. I'll tell you when, I'll tell you who. So I just stopped worrying about it for a while. And then God began to work on me a few years ago. And a, a young man that's been with me for now 15 years, he's like a son to me and uh, loves me dearly. I love him dearly. He was our youth pastor for four years, uh, became the principal of our school, has been that for the last 11 years. And I've every confidence is going to do a tremendous job. So I, I called him in and talked to him and told him what I was thinking about. It. But there's the principle of supplication, principle of stewardship. And, and I, I had thought about him earlier, and then he did something that made me think, oh, I shouldn't do that. It was a very small thing. But there's a kind of a smugness about the spirit I didn't like. And, and, and then the Lord said, well, how about you, you jerk? <laughs> yeah, the Lord often says to me, well, that, you are a jerk. I don't know how he talks to you, but <laughs> he says to me very often, you are a jerk. And it, he's, of course, accurate. Um, then there's the principle of small steps. Most people, 80% of the population, have a temperament that is resistant to change. Now, I'm not that way. I'm in the minority. But I have to remember everybody else is that way, and they don't like change. Uh, they, they wouldn't like it if you decided to put one of those chairs over there and even up the aisles a little more. They wouldn't like it if you decided that you're going to put different lighting in here. Uh, whatever you want to do, they're against it. It's just their nature. They're not mean. They're not bad. They're not even unspiritual. That's just the way they are. They will change, but you have to give them enough time and enough information. So after I talked to Brother Howell, I started talking, well, let me give you the last uh, principle because we actually went into that. Uh, the principle of saturation. I read a book by Truman Dollar. Dr. Ed Nelson gave it to me on how to carry out God's stewardship program. It was a great book. And in the book, Dr. Dollar talked about something called the principle of progressive involvement. And if you haven't heard it before, it's dynamite. It's just fabulous. If I'm going to build a building, and I'm pretty sure, I'm convinced it's the will of God, and I'll talk to a layman in my church who's a key godly layman that I think is most likely to be supportive of the vision that God has given me. And I lay it out and I talk to him and he says, Preacher, that's great. Then I go to the godly key layman who I think is second most likely to be supportive of the vision God's given me. And then I go to the third most likely and the fourth most likely. And by the time I get to the people that are in the middle, we've already got five, six, seven, eight key guys that are behind. Hey, I talked to Brother A and he thought it was a good idea and talked to Brother B and I talked to Brother C and Brother D and Brother E and they all thought it was good. Wanted to talk to you about it and see what you thought. By the time I publicly said, I plan about 2019 to resign as pastor of this church and ask the church to call Brother Howell to succeed me. I, I said, to how many of you is that a new idea? I think there was one hand. So what I did, I called in key staff members. Scott Collins has been on our staff 22 years, phenomenal worker. It would be really, really bad for the church if he left when I left. It'd be bad for the church if he left while I was there. <laughs> okay. He's just tremendous. And uh, I want Brother Cowling to be on board. 
And Brother Howell very wisely talked to him and said, hey, if I'm going to be the Joshua, I'm going to need a Caleb. <laughs> and I need somebody to be along with me and help in that. And they're friends, and they've been uh, supporting and mentoring each other in many ways, being accountable to each other. And as a good deal, I started talking. Lee Edwards, one of the finest men in the world, great Christian. We don't have a deacon chairman. In our church, there was one when I came in when he left. I just never replaced it. It's one of them things I never found in the Bible. Um, so I, I won't get off into that. But, you know, we've never had a trustee. I got this deal in the mail from the state of Michigan. and said, these are your officers. And they had the deacon chairman was the president. And so I just wrote down that I was the president. And I sent it back. That was about, oh, maybe June of 1975, shortly after I got there. And so they sent us back a letter, said, you owe us another 10 bucks because you changed your officers. So we sent them another 10 bucks. So uh, that's legal for the state of Michigan. We don't, we don't have trustees as an office. We don't find them. I'm, I'm mad at you if you do, and it works for you fine. Uh, we, just, we just don't do that. I don't find chairman in there. But Lee Edwards, if we had a chairman, to be the chairman. Lee Edwards is the guy that would make a presentation from the church to me on my anniversary. Uh, Lee Edwards, the most respected man, tremendous guy. He's the great-grandson, great-great-grandson of Devil Ants Hatfield. And a phenomenal story. Uh, his dad was a drunk in Cincinnati, Ohio. Working drunk. Uh, Clarence Edwards, somebody invited him to Central Baptist Church. The whole family, the, the mom and dad and, and Brother Lee, got saved that Sunday. His dad went to a Bible college operated by that church, became a professor in that church. And I have a yearbook they dedicated to him in about 1974. And they said there are, I think they said there are 40 independent Baptist churches in the greater Cincinnati area. And Clarence Edwards has trained the pastors of 25 of them. Lee Edwards is a great man. And so I sat down to him. I was thinking, oh, he said, Pastor, I believe in smooth and slow transitions and gradual change. And he said, uh, he, he's a big week for General Moore. He had 10,000 employees under him when he retired. And uh, was in charge of all their parts. And he said, I work well with Pastor Howell at camp. And that was good. One of the nice guys I talked to is a chiropractor in our church. Very successful. Uh, grew up in our church. Uh, Eagle Scout. Public school young man. But uh, came in as maybe mid-teens. And tremendous guy. And he said, well, he said, I'd, I'd like to know what Brother Edwards thinks about this. <laughs> I said, well, good. You ought to talk to him. I just talked to him. He thinks it's a great idea. I just began talking to people. Staff members, uh, did, whenever I thought I didn't have a, an agenda, I didn't have, okay, talk to this person and do that and that. I, I just uh, see somebody, the Lord put it on my heart. I call them and say, hey, let me tell you what I'm thinking about. Let me tell you something I'm praying about. Let me let you know what's going on so that there was no bombshell announcement. The, the news had saturated the congregation before anything was said publicly. By the way, in my public announcement, I, I talked, I was preaching. Uh, Oh, I'm trying to remember the exact passage, but, but, but I, was, I was preaching. I think, I think Caleb's father's name means he will be prepared or something like that. And, and I, I talked about preparation. And I talked about my plan is uh, sometime about 1970, uh, 19, uh, 2019, May 19, 2019, resign as pastor of the church. I can't choose my successor. I'm going to recommend to you that you call Pastor Howell to do it. And then every once in a while I'd mention it. And I'd say, here's what's going to happen. So let me give you a few, few thoughts as far as the pattern. And I think we're in good shape on time. The, the best pattern in Scripture that I know is the succession of Joshua and Moses. 
And uh, I saw something intriguing when I studied that. In Numbers chapter 27, Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as a sheep which have no shepherd. Moses knew he was going out. He wasn't going to the promised land. And he said, Lord, I don't want this flock I've invested 40 years in to be leaderless. I don't want them to be wandering around. And, and Lord, would you let there be somebody that can come take up the reins after me? So, so that was his request. He requested that. And then there was a response. The Lord said, I'll give you Joshua. And here's what the Lord said. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 27, the Lord said, verse 18, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him. And then, if you read the passage, you'll find out that there is a recognition. And I won't take the time to go through all this, but if you really find out he was appointed. Eliezer is going to put his hand upon him. He was anointed in that occasion. He was appreciated. God said, put some of your honor on him. Probably two years ago this summer, I preached at a church in Georgia, the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Decula, Georgia, for the Sam Davis. He's here at the conference. It was a Southern Baptist church. And I went because it was coming our way, used all of the curriculum from Lancaster for their Sunday school, came to the leadership conference, and I was glad to be a step in that direction. In fact, they got in the car when they picked me up at the airport, and he said, uh, Brother Willette, he said, we just presented our new bylaws to the church Sunday night. Our old bylaws said we're Southern Baptists. The new bylaws say we're Independent Baptists. Amen. And, and Brother Davis is real, they're, they're real sharp. They, they, and they told me about their, their greeters. We don't have greeters. They have a first impressions ministry. And the guy, that was really sharp. When you go to the nursery, you get one of those barcodes on a sticker for your kid. You know, if you don't have the barcode, you can't get the kid out. They do that for all the kids. Every kid in their Sunday school checks in and checks out. They know everybody is. Now, I'm not worried about kids being kidnapped, but that makes people feel better in this snowflake era that we are living in. You know, bicycle riders have to have helmets and all that kind of nonsense. Uh, yeah, you know, car seats till you're 14. Um, you shouldn't have brought that up. So I love the name First Impressions, and we could have done a lot better. I think I've had three ushers meetings in 42 years at First Baptist Church of Bridgeport. I'm not, if there's a difference between leadership and management, I'm better at leadership than management. I don't like details. I'm not good at that stuff. It, it irritates me. And so I have people to do that for me. I do what I need to, but I don't, that's not my forte. I don't enjoy that. So I said, Brother Howell, why don't you start a First Impressions ministry? And they gave me the idea. And I, all I said was, now Pastor Howell may be talking to you about the First Impressions Ministry. If he does, I hope that you'll see. He recruited everybody. He set it all up. He got the banners. He ordered them. ran everything by me. I am the pastor till the day I quit. All right? So I made that real clear several times. I'm not, we're not co-pastors. I'm the pastor. He's the co-pastor. Uh, but it's my job to give him more responsibility. It's my job to give him more attention. It's my job to give him more honor. 
a year before the vote. I called the deacons and told them what I was thinking about. All of them already knew it. And then I said, uh, if you have any objection to this, uh, I, I want you to let me know if I don't hear from you within a week. I think everything will be fine. That year, the deacons meeting may have been 12 minutes instead of seven minutes because I talked about my succession plans. And I said, I'm not going to call him Pastor J.D. anymore. I'm going to call him Pastor Howell. He was the youth pastor, Pastor J.D., principal, Pastor J.D., but I wanted to put some honor upon him. And the program's his, and he gets all the credit, and people are writing notes, and thank you for this, and I enjoyed somebody parking my car, and that was a blessing. Put some honor upon him. So in Scripture, we see this pattern. He was appreciated, and then he was advised. If you read there, the Bible says that he has the resource of Eliezer the priest who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment. One of my deals now is frequently to say to Brother Howell, hey, remember this. Think about this. Be careful about this. I'd recommend this. Now, when I'm done, he will be my pastor and he can do anything he wants. And I won't say boo about it unless it's a doctrinal issue that I'd have to leave the church. I won't say anything. I've told our people already. I'll tell them again when I go out. I'll still be a member of this church. You can call me anytime. I'll pray for you. You can tell me what's going on. Pastor Howell has even said he's okay if I counsel the people. And uh, as long as they know I'm doing he knows that I'm doing it, I'll have no objection to giving counsel to people. But I've said, you say one negative thing about Pastor Howell, I'm hanging up on you. I'm not going to listen to it. All right. Uh, so I'll be there to give him advice if he wants. And if he doesn't want it, he can do anything he wants. But there was advice and counsel available. And I'm going to give him all the mentoring and training I can these last two years. And then let her be the pattern in society. Let me just tell you how I came on this idea. I have an attorney friend named Mike Thomas. He's a great Christian, wonderful Bible student. His, his calling card says, Integrating Biblical and Legal Principles. I had a pastor ask me for attorney friend attorney recommendation one time. I said, go to Mike Thomas. He said, oh, I sent some of my church there, and all they did was read them Bible verses. <laughs> and first time I knew a pastor would be upset with people getting Bible verses, but I said, well, that's what it says on his card. Mike Thomas and I were riding in a car to a meeting somewhere, and he talked about a pastor had left his church after having been there for some years and having founded the church. And he said, that church is going to be hurt. That's terrible. He said, he, he should have stayed there. And, and then was older and the time for him to go, he should have brought somebody up gradually so there had been a smooth transition for the people. That's the first time that thought ever occurred to me. I've known Mike Thomas 40 years, and he didn't even remember that. I went in to get some of my estate planning done with him the other day, and he didn't remember. I said, yeah. I said, this, it's your fault I'm doing this. I said, you put it in there. Then I preached for Brother Kevin Folger and Brother Roy Thompson when they were in their transition. Roy Thompson a, was a tough guy, tough guy. And uh, uh, just, you know, uh, we were going to use a different attorney than David Gibbs one time. I was a young man, wasn't sure what to do between him and William Ball. My pastor recommended William Ball, and other people recommended David Gibbs. And I called Roy Thompson. He said, William Ball's a nice man. He's not my kind of guy. He's a Catholic. I thought you were my kind of guy, Willette. I'd preached for him at his school. He'd preached for me. Uh, he said, but maybe you're not. Maybe you should use William Ball. That's what he said to me. He's a tough guy, all right? Um, so Roy Thompson noticed, though, that a lot of people stayed too long and hurt the church. Yeah. He founded the Cleveland Baptist Church. He, no support, no salary, just knocking on doors, winning people to Christ. But he, he went out when he was 62. 
And so the pattern that I got was in many ways from him. Uh, they voted Brother Folger in like we voted Brother Holland to be the co-pastor. That meant that no other vote was necessary. And for the last year, Roy Thompson and Kevin Folger shared the pulpit. They each preached half the time. And they didn't tell anybody unless they were in a series who was going to preach when. I told our people, the last year, Brother Howell preached half the time. Uh, you won't know who's preaching when. Maybe you'll have an idea because I was out of town Sunday morning. But maybe we'll be preaching out Sunday morning, back Sunday night. I don't want to be able to pick the old guy and right. diss the new guy. I certainly don't want to be able to pick the new guy and disrespect the old guy. So you're going to come to church because you come to church. I think Brother Folger would say there was a lull there. There were things maybe weren't going forward, but they didn't go backward. It was very stable, and then Brother Folger took the church, and there was nothing surprising. It wasn't a steady diet of Roy Thompson and then a steady diet of Kevin Folger. I don't want him to have 104 Sunday sermons of R.B. Willette and then 104 of J.D. Howe. I want to have 52 of each that last year. So here are a few pointers. Letter A, be patient. I mentioned that I had been trying to rush it a little bit, pray and think and make sure it's the will of the Lord. Let it be, be proactive. Now, guys, let me tell you something. If you don't get yourself ready for this, it's going to be really, really hard on you. That stuff I've been talking about, I'll drive up and say, hey, we're not going to have this in a couple of years. I, I won't, my, my parking spot everybody else has. I'll walk in the same door everybody else does. I uh, won't have a secretary to call. Now, the, the Brother Hollis said that he's going to let me have access to the secretaries, which is very kind of him, but he does not owe that to me. But here, here's what the Lord has done for me. Very kindly, he's allowed me to prepare in advance for major crises in life. A prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself. I preached a sermon because of hearing Dr. Gibbs speak about what we would ever do if we had a Christian school at the First Baptist Church of Bridgeport in my first or second year there before there's any idea we'd ever have a Christian school. And uh, I told what would happen if we got in trouble. I didn't know we were going to have a Christian school, didn't know we were getting in trouble with the government. The Lord let me do that. The Lord helped me. When our daughter Krista was little, even before Katie, her sister, five years younger than her, was born, I could tear up just thinking about her getting married. So you know what I did? I started performing her wedding in my mind. I imagined walking down the aisle with her. I thought about what it would be like. And I got that from a statement Dr. Hiles made. He got on an airplane with John Rice. John Rice said goodbye to a daughter that he wouldn't see again for a long time. And he said, Dr. Rice, how, how could you do that? Do what? Dr. House, well, you just say goodbye to your daughter and, you know, don't tearful or emotional or anything. And he said, Dr. House, I've been preparing for this day for 30 years. So, so be proactive. Get it ready in your mind. By the way, my next transition is death after this one. I started thinking about that. I started imagining myself lying on the bed. What would I say? How would I feel? So is it coming soon? I don't think so. I mean, uh, genetically and health-wise, I, I told my wife, we might live another 30 years. We might die tomorrow. Uh, I don't think so, but I'd like to be ready for it. So be proactive, and by doing that, you can be prepared. I wanted to have the church prepared. We started years ago a faith-building offering. 
We do it annually and we've redone the auditorium and our restrooms are the nicest of any church that I've ever been in. Uh, the male lady came in the other day and said, wow, these are better than the casino. That is our new <laughs> motto. First Baptist of Bridgeport, we're better than the casino. Our property is beautifully landscaped. You drive up and there's a nice waterfall uh, as you come into the main entrance and decorative concrete over the, the uh, porticos out there under the canopies and uh, all, we just keep doing one thing after another after another. Right ready to start redoing some we already did. Now, for years, we just got it up and got it full and tried to get it paid for. But I always wanted it to be nice, but I don't want to leave that on the next guy. Our finances have never been better than they are right now, thank the Lord. Never have had as much money in the bank as we have right now. Not, not even close. Never had half as much as we have now. And uh, the ministries are solid. The church is stable. The, the staff is great. We added a fine young staff member in January to do media and music. And another young man came on in May, Ryan Rupel, whose father is a missionary out of our church to Cambodia. Ryan graduated from here. And, uh, and the staff is solid. Everything is good. I want to be prepared. Like I said, he may make a mess. I don't want to leave him a mess. So on May 21st, we had our vote. We'd had two Sunday nights. People could ask questions. A couple of more dorky questions. That's okay. Just, just answer them. One guy said, I don't know why it takes two years to transition. They transitioned the whole U.S. government in 70 days. I said, well, we'd like to do a better job. <laughs> <laughs> And then I just said, most people have a temperament type, resistant to change. The same guy, he wrote the question the first time, and then the second time he asked it out loud. He said, I, I'm for Pastor Howell, and I think this is great, and I commend you. I just don't know why it takes two years. And I gave him the same answer. He asked the same question. Now, did he heard anything? No, he's, he's a little different. He's a good guy. He's going to be there. He voted for Pastor Howell. Uh, I'm not afraid of questions. You know, in fact, I have one deacon's meeting a year, one business meeting a year. It's not because I'm unapproachable. It's not because I'm not willing to take input from the people. I just don't like messing with that stuff. Okay, so, and I don't, I don't find it necessary. And I, I think there's a little less democracy in the New Testament model in the Bible than we see in some churches, to be honest with you. Um, I never have thought you should have a deacon come up and recommend the motion to the church. That's it. I don't know where they got, they got, they got that from the Southern Baptists where they got that. But, but I, I wanted to be prepared in every way possible. We had the vote, and usually when we vote on our budget, there will be zero to three no votes. Usually zero to three. Uh, it's unusual if there's zero, and if it's unusual if there's three. There's usually one or two. There were two no votes. <laughs> and uh, and I, I know where they were sitting. I numbered the ballots, and I could tell by the numbers on the ballots which section they were from. And, and one of them was not from any place I would have thought it would be a problem. I don't know who it was. I don't really care who it was. They're not bad people. They can have a different opinion, and they'll probably stay there and be fine. Brother Howell had a percentage that he wanted to have if he, to be sure the Lord wanted to take the church, and he didn't tell anybody, including his wife, what the percentage was. So I looked down, I said, Brother Howell, I said, it's, uh, I told him the percentage, are we okay or did it need to be higher than that? So we went like that, all right? So we announced it that day. God was very gracious to it, and people are responding well. Occasionally somebody say, oh, I'm sorry you're leaving. I wish you'd stay longer. But I'd rather them say, I wish you'd stayed longer than I wish you'd got out of here sooner. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think i got a couple minutes. Anybody have a question that I was unclear on or any follow-up? Yes, sir. I have to get my notes out here now. I'm sorry. Point number four, the pointers. Pointers, just a few ideas. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so, from my perspective, because 
I'm going to be stepping into a ministry uh, that the fellow's been pastoring there for 41 years so far. And he wants me to be assistant pastor and school administrator for a few years, and then he's going to pass it on to me. Any advice for me on how to help that transition? Well, honor him all that you can. Learn from him all you can. Realize he knows the people, he knows the church, he knows how to handle things. He'll do some things that you think, well, I'm, when I'm pastor, I'm going to do that differently. And on some of them you'll be right, but on some of them you'll be wrong. I remember when I was a boy, I said, when I'm a parent, I'm never going to do that. And some of the things I said I'd never do, I did never do. And some of the things I said I'd never do, I did. So just, just uh, realize that he has a lot of experience and perspective. And then... If you can, I have no idea what, if anything, the church will do for me financially when I'm done. My attitude is they owe me nothing. They paid my salary the whole time I was there, and that was our deal. They said, if you pay the pastor of the church, we'll pay the salary. They did, and I did. Now, I told the deacons many years ago, I said, I'm going to say this once. I recommend you do something like a half salary or something, and I will give it back. That's what I'm going to do. If they do anything, I'll give it back. I said, that way, the old people feel happy they're helping the old guy, and the new people feel happy it doesn't cost them anything. You know, so that's up to him what he does. Don't obligate yourself to anything as a church that you can't sustain. I know churches have gotten themselves in terrible trouble. First Baptist Hammond, not under Brother Wilkerson. He's fixing the mess. But they were giving the pensions to all kinds of people, and it was burdensome. Look at the government. Look at all the pensions for GM. Don't obligate yourself to something you can't do long term. You know, be sure that if anything you, you promise to do for the preacher, you can do. I don't have Social Security, so I started buying real estate a few years ago to take care of myself in my old age. All right, another question? I think our time is done. If you have any questions you want to ask individually, I'll hang around. Thank you for listening. God bless you.